Welcome to the Just Off Glen podcast with your host, Christy Alexander, where we talk to the movers, shakers, and change makers. Just Off Glen. Hi, listeners. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Just Off Glen podcast. I'm your host, Christy Alexander, and I'm also the owner of WorkSmart Coworking and Meeting Space in downtown Glens Falls. We're a professional workspace with a supportive community to help you do your best work. And today I am joined by one of WorkSmart's own members whose smile is contagious, and I really get a kick out of being able to come in and have conversation and um, just to to be around our our guests today. So um, today I'm joined by Corrine Pettit, and she is a strategic website designer. She offers custom website design and branding for online service-based entrepreneurs, agencies, and educators. Thank you for joining us today, Corrine. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to... Um, l- Share with our listeners a little bit about your journey, um, because it's it's been very inspiring to me. Uh, in the beginning, entrepreneurship was not really on your radar, so I'd love for you to start by sharing with our listeners a bit about your background and how your life circumstances and priorities evolved to lead you to embark on an entrepreneurial journey. Yeah, it was definitely not on my radar at all. (laughs) I uh, was in college for engineering. So I was in my grad school years and a couple of my friends were in what we called the four plus one program. So four years of undergrad and then one year of business. And they were all like, oh, maybe I'll start my own business. Like, that's why I'm adding that. And I had no interest. I was like, nope, no thanks. <laughs> Roll in the eyes. Yeah, I just, it <laughs> was not for me. It was never, it never sounded interesting to me. And in grad school, studying engineering, I loved it. I thought for sure I'm the person who goes to college for what I say I'm going for and I'm not changing. <laughs> and so in grad school, the way it worked where I went is it's year round. So that summer... A couple of friends were like, hey, we're going to Peru and Ecuador for five weeks. You should come with us. And at the time, I honest to God, probably couldn't even have told you what continent Peru and Ecuador were on. <laughs> I was like, I, why would I want to do that? And they were like, all right, well, let's go to Applebee's happy hour. And we had some appetizers and margaritas. And they're showing me pictures of what they're going to be doing. And they're like, you should come. Like, here's what we're going to be doing. And once I saw the pictures, I was like, wow, this looks really cool. Like this place looks beautiful. Couple half priced margaritas Margaritas later. (laughs) I'm calling my mom and dad and saying, Hey guys, I think I'm going to go to South America for five weeks this summer with who are now two of my good friends. But at the time I, they were more of acquaintances. And my mom's like, who are these people? Like, why are you doing this? Oh my goodness. Um, so I went and it was amazing. It was an awesome trip. And one of the icebreaker questions among all the travelers, I don't know why, it was always like, where are you from and how long are you traveling? Um, so I'd say I'm from the U.S. and say I'm traveling for five weeks. And in my mind, five weeks, I've never heard of anyone going on vacation for five weeks. Right, right. So I'm like, wow, like five weeks. And everyone's response was always like, oh, five weeks, like just five weeks. And I was like, what do you mean? They're 
They're like, oh, we're traveling for five months. And I was like, excuse me, you're doing what? (laughs) And that just became the trend. Like I, here I am thinking I'm little miss vacation on five weeks. Stepping so far out of your comfort zone. Yeah. And then you meet people and they're like, oh, I don't know. I've been traveling for a year and I'm just traveling until I run out of money. And I was like, oh, wow. Okay. (laughs) Um, So that was kind of like the little seed that planted in my mind. And then I go back to grad school. I finish my degree. I get into my career, which was the career that if I could have painted out exactly what I wanted, it was, it was that. And I get into it and I had 10 days of vacation and something just in my head, I was like, man, I can't do that. Like I need more time to travel and do stuff that I like, like 10 days out of the whole year. I was like, that is not enough time. And after a while, it kind of just like festered and ate Mm. at me. And I was like, I don't think I can do this. So I started the, the same friends that went on the trip with me. They were like, let's start a travel blog. And they couldn't figure out the website. They're, they pass it off to me. They're like, here, you figure it out. I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. So oh, I just funny. kind of played around with it. And I realized it was kind of fun and started doing that on the side while still in my career. And I think I was there just shy of three years and full time before I quit to run my own business. So I was doing web design on the night, on the weekends and at night while in my career, just doing sites for friends and family who had small businesses being like, Hey, let me test it out on you. See how it goes. And then after a while, my career was just like, yeah, I can't, I can't do this. I need to, I need the flexibility and the freedom to not only have 10 days a year. So I ended up leaving in 2018, I think it was. And then I've been full-time in websites since then. I think that's fantastic. It's fun how um, them asking you to to take care of the you know the tech part of the blogging really developed into something so much more that wasn't even on your radar that you hadn't even considered. So you was it going into the back end of the website? I mean, what what about that um, excited you? I think it was just it's kind of just a sandbox and you get to play around in it Mm. and see what comes of it that was part of it but also it was almost like the benefit of having your own business that also really excited me so it wasn't necessarily like I love websites and I want to make websites every day of my life or forever yeah it was more of websites are kind of the vehicle that gives me this ability to work wherever I want and work whenever I want and have that flexibility to travel more and be outside more and do stuff like that. That's exciting. Yeah. It was like that, the, uh, the initial trip was that taste of freedom. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And once you got it, that, that was it. Yep. So, um, along the way, I mean, here we are. So that was 2018 and we both know as entrepreneurs that every entrepreneur has their fair share of challenges. So I'd love for you to shed some light on, um, any obstacles that you've encountered as you've started your own business. Um, I mean, were there difficulties in finding resources or getting answers to critical questions what about like so many entrepreneurs feel isolated? Is that something you struggled with? Yeah. Yeah. One of the biggest 
struggles that still stands out to me was when I was not yet full-time, I was doing websites on the side, still in my career, and health insurance. Health Mm. insurance was such a big struggle. I had no idea what to do. Um, I was over 26, so I couldn't be on my parents' health insurance anymore, but I was not married. Um, So you have to have health insurance and health insurance is so tied to your employment. Mm -hmm. So I'm staying at this job because I'm not going to have health insurance. And at the time, I think there was a penalty if you didn't have insurance. So it's like, oh, you can't afford to pay $500 a month for catastrophic coverage that covers nothing. Here, pay a penalty of probably an equal amount. I don't even, I don't even know. So that held me there a long time. Um, I ended up finding, I don't even know how I came across it. But it was called a healthcare navigator, and it was someone who helps you as a self-employed person to get set up with health insurance. So she was great. I still work with her every year. She We renew my plan every year, and I just email her, and it's super simple. But I remember for oh, the awesome. longest time being so worried about, well, I can't leave my job because I'm not going to have insurance, and what if something happens? and right. I can't afford to pay for it. And all the plans are just, everything is so tied to your employer when yeah. it comes to health insurance that it's hard to find that. So that was really hard for me. Um, that was before like actually going full-time, like I said. But once I did and once I had that all figured out, uh, you had mentioned like the isolation part. And I've been really fortunate to make a lot of good, like quote-unquote work friends who some I haven't met in real life and some I have met in real life. Um and that's been really nice. I have one very good work friend. Her name is Morgan. She's a web designer in Houston. And her and I, I we met in a Facebook group when we were both still part-time. And we have been good friends since then. We've met in person. She's come up to Lake George. I've gone down to Texas. So her and I are very much like a sounding board for each other for new nice. ideas. And we do the same thing. So we understand the nuances Um, and I have other friends too that I like, I have a number of Canadian friends that I haven't met, but we message on Slack, we do zoom like coffee chats. So that's been really nice for me. And then coming here has been really nice. The, the work smart space has just been so nice to get out of my house, not have to be there five days a week. It's nice to be there with my dogs and yeah, but it's also nice to kind of quote unquote come into work sometimes because lately I've been like, man, I really miss coworkers. Mm -hmm. And I know if I got a quote unquote real job and had coworkers again, it'd probably take a week and I'd be like, just kidding. (laughs) I want to go back to my (laughs) my normal life again. So it's fun. We've had a number of people say that it's like, it's the best of both worlds because you, you do have an office to come into and coworkers around, but there's also that level of freedom that allows you to do it when it works best for you. Um, so there's no, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's not like, there's no like obligation, obligation to sit in your seat yeah. until five o'clock when yeah. you're not busy. Right, right. And and you'll see that around here too, where you know, I see you're very heads down and focused and you're just jamming over there and and others are too. And then there are some days where it's like three, three thirty, things start to dwindle down and people say, 
it's nice out. I'm leaving. Yeah. I'm done for the day. I'll work later tomorrow. You know, some of our remote workers or I'll pick this up and get it done at another time this week. And, um, it's just really such a pleasure to be able to set our own hours and to be able to have con- more control over that. Um, yeah. it, it it just feels like a luxury, but I, I think it's something that um, the world is moving closer to for sure. Yeah, I agree. It's definitely like ever since the pandemic, things have gotten seemingly a bit more flexible, which is nice Yeah, in terms of hours and yeah. Yeah, it's helpful for sure. So um, along the way, we all make missteps. I know I've made plenty of my own, um, which I think is fun. That's part of the joy of being an entrepreneur is that we do have that freedom to be able to make mistakes and then learn from them. Um, but I also like to be able to help others avoid making the same missteps that I've made. Like, don't, don't do that. I tried it. It didn't work. Don't do it that way. Um, and then you can give that advice and they can take it or leave it. But, um, have there been any, um, missteps along the way that you've encountered and, uh, you know, what's been your takeaway and, and how can we, maybe share with the listeners so that they can avoid pitfalls of their own. Yeah. Um, I have one funny story at the very, very beginning of my business. It was actually my very first website that I designed for someone. Um, she's at, she's been a loyal client of mine for however many years it's been since then. Like we work on other projects all the time together. She's referred people to me since then. I don't know if she knows she was the first person who ever paid me. Um, <laughs> And I did her website for her. So we were building her website and she shared her vision with me and I'm really ambitious and going for it. And I built the whole thing out. I built the whole thing. I sent it over and she's like, I hate it. I was like, oh no. And I had, because it's my first real paying client. I had worked with people for free, like unpaid family and friends, but this is the first person paying me. So like I'm jazzed. And then she hated it. And I was like, Oh no, what happened? And so from there we course corrected. We talked about, okay, what don't you like? What do you want to fix? What do we got to do here? And it was interesting because the site she hated and the site we ended up with weren't all that different, Mm -hmm. but she just didn't really have a great way to communicate what she like liked and didn't like. Okay. Um, and so that was part of it was I've gotten better having this process that helps people share feedback in a way that is interpretable for me nice, and easy to correct. So it's very easy for me now to fix things when people are like, well, that's close, but not quite right. But the bigger takeaway from that was very, the very next project in every project I've ever done since then, I do a homepage preview only, send nice. it over, make sure they're happy with it. And then we do the rest of the site. So in that project, I did it all. I did the whole thing. So I built out like six pages and had to redo them all. So it was a huge time suck from my part that I had to Mm -hmm. fix. So I think just like not having the process, like now I have a well-oiled process from start to finish. Everybody knows exactly what they need to get me before we start. I give people our start date and our launch date, which is unusual when it comes to a website project a lot of websites and website designers 
the projects will be open-ended. They say like, we're going to start around this time and we'll finish when we finish. And me being the person who wants to predict when I can go on vacation or predict when I can take days off, that didn't really work for me. I was like, I don't like, I don't like that. Mm -hmm. And I noticed that projects would drag on and you kind of lose excitement and you lose, you lose momentum when things um, drag on. So I started what I, it's a very simple name, but I call it my three-week process. So in the first week, we do just the homepage and build that out, get feedback, revisions, get it perfect. The second week, we build out all the other pages. And then the third week, they have what I call an unlimited revision window from Monday to Thursday. So any revisions they want to get changed and tweaked or anything like that, we do then, and then we launch it on Friday. So it's actually a really nice great process that works well for me because I know, okay, I'm working with Laura from this date to this date. Mm -hmm. And then my vacation is not going to be bothered. Like we're good. And it works for them well too, because then they can plan a little launch party and get excited. And it, you don't lose the momentum and the excitement when you're like, okay, this is our schedule. This is how we're going to do it. And that has worked really, really well for me is just having that good process, setting the expectations at the start and, everyone's on the same page and you get to launch day and you're excited. You're not mm-hmm. burnt out. You're not like grumpy with each other. It's, it's great. So yeah. that has helped me so much. When you told me about your process, I was so in awe. I, you're very organized. You're very detail oriented. And I, I love to be organized and naturally as the owner of the business, I want to, Uh, build out a process for everything because that's going to help me be able to hand off, you know, the different tasks to others so that I can get them off my plate. The things that I don't enjoy doing or don't do well. And so I'm always trying to create a process. So when you told me about that, I was like, oh my gosh, I love it. Yeah, And it really does set your clients up um, for what knowing what they can expect. And you're also, you know, when you're sending over those documents and asking those questions, um, you're able to ask them in a way that um, they know what you're asking and they can respond. And I was impressed by how quickly you course corrected. That's really awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, 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 it just works so well and it, it create like, I'm a people pleaser to my core. So yeah. I want my people to be happy and have a right. fun time when we're doing a website. Everyone kind of thinks like a website is a stressful thing and it gets pushed to the bottom of the to-do list. And right. It happens three years later than you really wanted it right, to. But right. like it's actually, it can be fun it if you just be. have a process yeah. and have someone that you trust. And yeah, I love a lot that. Of fun. That's so exciting. So much fun. Um, I also, I had to laugh when you talked, when you uh, mentioned that um, there was a bit of a breakdown in communication there, what she was communicating, what you were hearing. And when AI first came out, um, I saw this meme that was like, you know, so many people were worried that it would take over and in copywriters and, um, you know, marketers would be out of a job. And I saw this um, 
I don't know if it was a tweet or something, but it was like, that's not going to happen because first people would have to be able to tell AI what they want. And that is where the problem lies. And I was like, I'll be the first to put my hand up. Getting it out of my head, through my mouth and into the ears of another person is just, it's not always that easy. It's like, no, that's not what I'm thinking. It it was really hilarious. I was like, so true. So true. Yes. I saw that too. (laughs) Oh, So um, I'd love to talk a little bit about your ideal client and, um, you know, knowing that any, for any successful business, the ideal, knowing your ideal client is really the quarters, the cornerstone, excuse me. How did you go about defining your ideal client and has your target audience evolved since you first began? Yeah. Um, Yes, it has. When I very first started my business, a lot of the Facebook groups I were in was in and the people that I knew were all working towards creative women entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. So I was like, cool, that's my person. <laughs> <laughs> like just threw spaghetti at the wall and was like, yep, I'll work with that person. And I did. I worked with um like people who work with their hands, like soap makers, um, bloggers, uh people who are in fashion, things mm-hmm. like that, that are more expression focused. Okay. Um, but over the years, it's kind of, as I've worked more with clients, it's sort of shifted in the way I approach helping my people figure out who their person is, has shifted as well. So at the beginning, I feel like you're always kind of taught to outline this ideal client avatar like what do they eat for breakfast mm-hmm. um what right. color is their pillowcase like, what car do they drive yeah how like, many kids do they have yes yep. and like these questions that are so specific and I did all of that I was mm-hmm. like okay what's my person and I did all of that and then I'm working with people and working with clients and I'm loving them and none of them are this person and I'm like <laughs> what was the point of doing that um so I don't remember when it was. It was a couple of years into my business. I met one of my clients who's now been a client for forever. Her name is Kay. And she's big into the branding world. And I've learned so much from her. And her approach to branding has been, and what I've absorbed and moved into my process as well, is just kind of figuring out who you are first. Mm. Like defining you and your values your beliefs, like what motivates you. So I'm a very time motivated person. I do my business for the freedom and flexibility to not work, to travel and hike and be out on the lake. Um, So by defining myself and my values and things I believe in, that sort of guided who I work with now. Mm -hmm. And it's not in an exclusive way of, I won't work with these people, but it's more of who are the people that are going to relate to me because they're like me. Mm -hmm. Um, So now I work with a lot of what I call freedom driven entrepreneurs because that's how I identify. Like that's why I do what I do. That's Um, So I work with a lot of freedom driven entrepreneurs. A lot of them are in the online business space because the online business tends to lend to that location independence factor. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of them are educators. So they make courses, which again is like a offer or a service that doesn't tie your time to your money. Like you're able to make the course one time and then sell it a bunch of times. Right. So you can keep making money without working more. So 
I work with all different types of businesses. It's mm-hmm. not that I'm always working with, uh, let's see, I'm not always working with influencers or always working with a brick and mortar business or someone who does the exact same thing, mm-hmm. but they're all similarly motivated like myself. So. Nice. I love that. So it's really so much more about the mindset than it is about kind of those uh, tangible, like what, you know, what car do they drive and, yeah. do, you know, what kind of house do they live in? And like you said, I love that. What color is their pillowcase? Yeah, yeah <laughs> That's exactly. hilarious. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. I found that too. And um, I think one of the most fun aspects of discovering who your ideal client is, is like you had said, it's really a process in learning about ourselves, who we are and what kind of person we want to attract and work with. And I I went through the same thing myself when initially we, you know, I did the work and filled out the worksheets and who was this person and, and, um, really was challenged to say, you know, it's not, it's not about those tangible things. I mean, certainly, you know, what kind of income bracket they fall in and those kinds of things, that's important. But I really want a person who is driven towards success. I really want a a person who likes to be around other people and, you know, this, that, and the other thing for, for our members here at WorkSmart, especially taking into account, you know, building the community and wanting to surround each other ourselves like who do we all want to be surrounded with here I I don't want to attract a person who you know is going to be holed up in the office all day and I don't need to be around other people and um, not going to engage with others that's not going to help any of us you know it's not going to help move the community forward it's really that idea of collaboration and people having an interest in getting to know one another and support one another and cheer each other on. So, um, I, I really have loved, um, that owning a business has been such a personal growth process for me. And it sounds like it's been much the same for you. It has, it really, really has. When you, um, assess a website and you had mentioned to me that you do website audits in addition to not, um, creating websites, but, um, I'm interested in the process of assessing a website and what kind of typical mistakes you encounter and, and, you know, what's missing or what's there and shouldn't be and in how that, um, translates into, um, the crucial, crucial aspects that these clients need to, to have to be able to speak to their ideal client. Yeah. So, um, the, yeah, the service you had mentioned, I call it a strategic website audit and it's usually geared towards people who already have a website and they want to make improvements to it without redoing the whole thing from scratch. Because sometimes that's just not in the budget or it's not time friendly. Right. Um, So my approach with those is to go through the site and give them simple changes that are going to make the biggest impact. Like, again, we're not trying to reinvent the wheel here. And I tackle it from there's a strategy side of the design and then there's a design side of the design. So the strategy pieces are the things that a lot of people don't think about, but those are the things that get you the results. So 
I say all the time that a pretty website that doesn't actually get you results is just a colorful waste of money. Right. So you want your site to actually do something. Like it, it, it will look pretty, but you want it to do something. So one of the biggest mistakes I see on people's websites is just not having a clear action-oriented goal. So you want to have a purpose for your site. And I'm having air quotes here, but providing information is not a goal of a site. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people are like, oh, I just want my site to provide information, which is great. That's going to happen. But you want it to do something, something that's going to move the needle in your business. So whether that's booking a complimentary call for a potential future client, whether it's submitting an application to work with you or downloading a free lead magnet, whatever that is, you want someone to do something. So that's the biggest, biggest piece of advice I could give people is Make sure when you have your site and when you're either building it or improving it that you know what that thing is. So you want to have one action-oriented goal and everything in your site should lead people to it. So you want buttons and that's another really, really, it sounds so obvious, but that's another thing people miss all the time is buttons. Like you want your site and your pages to have buttons that lead people through the site. So you have your homepage and say, Maybe at the top you have a website one-liner that introduces your business and talks about what you do and the positive outcome, and then you have a button under it. And the button should be, it should stand out, and it should Mm -hmm. lead people where you want them to go. And then doing that throughout the whole site, like everywhere. When people get to the bottom of a page, have a button. There Mm -hmm. needs to be a button. You don't want them to get to the bottom of the page and be like, okay, that's nice. What do I do now? Right. Where where was that? Where do I go? How do I get what I want? What I came here for? What you've just convinced me I need? Yep. Yeah. You want to kind of like almost treat them like a distracted little squirrel. Like, okay, go here next. (laughs) Like, this is what's next. Um, So just like... Little things like that is making sure you have that goal, making sure you have buttons that are leading people through the path of your site, Um, making sure that you have a clear and concise menu. The menu is a really, really common one for people to kind of get tripped up on. So a lot of people want to stuff every page of their website into the menu. And actually, the more pages you have in your menu, the less likely people are to do anything. They get overwhelmed. It's like decision paralysis. Yeah. So I, my rule of thumb is five menu items or less. Six is like the absolute max. Um, But any more than that, and people are just going to look and they're going to be overwhelmed and be like, oh my gosh, I don't know where to start. So I'm just going to leave. I think sometimes it comes from a place of like, I want to make sure they have everything they need. Right. I want to give them everything. That's actually really overwhelming. Mm -hmm. So Normally, like your homepage, your about page, your services or your offers, um, if you have like a testimonials or case studies page and then a contact page or whatever that call to action is that you want them to do, whether it's contact you, submit a form, um, download something, Mm -hmm. purchase something, whatever that is. Um, So those are really great. Those are like the core, core, like strategy things to look at. So strategy things are like the layout, like how it's the pieces are put together Mm -hmm. and then like some really simple design things that are very easy to implement. The biggest one it kind of already alluded to is the buttons, like making sure they actually stand out. You don't want them to blend in. Like some people are very quote unquote like aesthetic and they want like their buttons to be all matchy matchy, Mm -hmm. Um, which there's a time and a place for where having your branding a certain way 
is important. Sure. But you want it to you want it to stand out. You want the buttons to draw attention and people to know that's the thing they're supposed to do. Um, and then white space. That's a big one. White space scares people. People don't like empty space. I think oh. it's because we're taught when you write reports, like everything is like single line space and everything's really tight together. All the paragraphs, you, you have to fill the whole page. But with a website, like the white space, so white space is just empty breathing room. It doesn't have to be white. It can be a different color. It's just something space that is devoid of text or images or buttons or graphic elements. And it's like breathing room. And that helps people to focus on what's important. So if you go on a website and you see like one column of text from the left side of the screen all the way to the right side of the screen and it feels like a textbook, you may not think, oh, I don't like this website because it feels like a textbook. Mm -hmm. But like subconsciously in your brain, you're going to be unimpressed Mm -hmm. and overwhelmed. Um, Interesting. So having white space is so key in that. I would say that of all the design things you can do is the thing people get tripped up on the most because it scares them. They're like, I need to fill this empty space. But the empty space is actually really, really powerful and really helpful. So, Wow. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, what, what do you feel sets your services apart from others in the industry? Are there, um, I know, I feel like this is a little bit of a hard question to ask. I mean, we we definitely want to be intentional, intentional about setting ourselves apart. Um, But, you know, maybe looking at it from your client's perspective, what are they, you know, what in particular did they really appreciate about you that you hear over and over again? Yeah, Um, there's kind of two things. So from the client perspective, it's definitely the client experience. Like we get to the end of projects and people are crying because they love their website. I so can much. totally see that. <laughs> yeah. Because you like your whole idea of making it fun. And it's like you take them on this journey of this is going to be fun. This is going to be awesome. And you're going to have an amazing product after this fun experience. Yep. Yep. I actually on my own website, I have like a, a number counter bar for different little fun facts that I like to include. And one of them is like number of times that clients have cried happy tears. Because um, the first time it happened, I was like, oh my gosh. And then like it kept happening. And I was like, oh wow, okay. Like I'm actually making a difference in Aww. people's lives. Um, so yeah, the client experience is something over and over again that my clients just rave about. They like get to the end of it and they're like, this was so much less awful than I thought it was going to be. Um, so from their perspective, I would say that's like a really big differentiator, um, versus like horrible past experiences they may have had. Um, for my, it speaks to the fact that you love what you do also. Yeah. And I think that that's, um, I don't want to say it's rare, but you know, I don't think it's as common as people think it is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then from my perspective, so my answer to the question, uh, the difference, the way I do things differently is I just tackle things, website design from a strategy first approach. And I think that comes a bit from my engineering, like technical background. Mm -hmm. My brain is very, I'm not sure if it's left or right, whatever one is the not artsy side. I think it's left brained, um, where numbers and structure works really well for my brain. Mm. So when I design websites for people, we're starting with the strategy. Like we're setting out their goals. We're determining like what's going to be in the menu. We're laying out 
what's the conversion mechanism? So what's the thing at the end of the path that converts them into either a lead or a client or whatever that is? Mm -hmm. So by doing that, my sites, the, the sites that I design, and I always feel so uncomfortable saying this because it's, I don't know, um, but the sites I create convert way, way higher than like industry standards. So I have had different types of sites and different types of pages have different conversion rates. Mm-hmm. And a conversion rate is how much, like the, the number of people who say yes or do the thing versus the number of people who saw it. Um, and you want obviously a higher conversion rate because that means more people are taking interest and taking action. And I've done sales pages for online course creators who for that type of paid offer, the industry standard is like one to 2% of mm-hmm. a conversion rate, which is not like, if you think about the numbers, you need a hundred people to visit your page in order for one or two right. to buy or enroll or whatever that is. Um, and one to 2% is considered very good. And I've had people where we build out their site and theirs converts at 5%. And I've had, I had one client who I think we did her sales page pretty recently. Um, hers converted at 14%. We were like blown away. Like that was incredible. That's like unheard of. Yeah. Um, so, and that's what can happen when you tackle the strategy before you think about the pretty stuff. Mm-hmm. Like you want it to look beautiful, obviously. Sure, yeah. It's like an expression of who we are. Yeah. But when you start with the strategy first, it makes everything work so much better. So the results is it really shows in the results. Yeah. It it, it makes so much sense. And I think for some of us as business owners, um, some of those questions that you ask were questions that you know we initially considered when launching a business and maybe putting together our business plan and um, life gets busy and business gets busy and sometimes um, those thoughts or ideas visions goals get pushed to the back of our mind so I think when you um, sit down with your client and you start to ask those questions it's like pulling that business plan off the shelf and it's like, Hey, old friend, (laughs) let's take a a fresh look at this and then maybe consider what's changed since we've thought about these things last. And I think that that, that can be very inspiring for a business owner. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. It is. It is. Um, you and I were talking, uh, before we pushed record and, um, you asked me a question which was just so sweet and it was simple, but it was, how are you? <laughs> and it just meant so much to me because starting and running a business can be all consuming. But from the outset of becoming an entrepreneur, you had specific goals in mind, such as having a good work-life balance and making time for things in life that you enjoy, like traveling and being outdoors. And I'd love for you to elaborate on how you determine those goals and then adopted the initial steps to achieve them. You and I have talked a little bit about this, and that was really, I have to say, the catalyst for asking you to come on the podcast because um, I think a lot of us as entrepreneurs know that we need to keep those goals in the forefront of our mind and be super intentional about making sure that we've planned for downtime, but we just don't do it. We don't. And I see that you do it and I love that. And you've been such a great example for me. And I'd love for you to share how other entrepreneurs can prevent 
their businesses from dominating their lives. Yeah. Um, Part of it, I think, is how we had talked about earlier when I went on that trip and it was, it just kind of planted the seed of, I don't want to work the rest of my life where I get 10 days off a year. So like part of me thinks like that's just kind of in me. Like I just, it, it terrifies me to get to retirement age and be like, wow, I haven't lived. Like I've just worked. Um, so for me, it was very much figuring out what I'm motivated by, which is that freedom and that flexibility. And I think it was a few years ago, it was like year end and you're doing all the numbers like a good business owner does and looking at your revenue and your expenses and all of that and doing all the metrics people tell you to measure. And I just had this idea of, I need to measure the number of days off I'm taking because when you have a, a career with a boss, they know how many days you get. So you're like, all right, I'm going to use up all 10 days that I get. Wow. And then when you work for yourself, you don't have someone to check it off right. and tally it. So I'm like, I need to keep track of this to make sure that the whole point of me starting my business was to take more days off. So I need to make sure I'm actually doing it. So that's actually one of the metrics I measure every year is number of days off. Every month I go into my little business tracking spreadsheet and I say, I took three days off this month or whatever that is. Um, last year, I think my number, I was pretty proud of it. I think I had 42 days off. 42 or 43, not including weekends because weekends should be off for everybody anyways. That's my little soapbox. (laughs) Um, But like 42 actual like Monday to Friday days off, whether it was a vacation or going hiking or just taking a mental health day. Um, So that's a metric that I use for myself um, to make sure I'm doing that. So I would say like whatever the priorities are for you in your business Yes, some people it's revenue or numbers and like money goals. But if you have a different goal that's measurable, do that. Make that one of your metrics that you track every year. Um, Last year, I also came across um, an ad for an app called A Thousand Hours Outside. And the goal is to have a thousand hours outside. And me being someone who considers myself someone who goes outside a lot. We go out on the boat a lot in the summer. Mm -hmm. I hike. I'm like, oh, that's easy. And then I do the math and I was like, oh my gosh, that's a lot of hours. (laughs) And so actually last year I was like, okay, I'm not sure if a thousand hours is attainable for myself. And I'm someone who gets very discouraged by not meeting a goal. So I'm like, (laughs) all right, let's like make this realistic. And then if I exceed it, that's great. So last year my goal was 600 hours outside. And I think I got like 700 maybe, or maybe... Yeah, I think it was about 700 okay. last year. So I did meet that goal. I didn't hit the 1,000 hours. But if if anyone's listening and thinking 1,000 hours is like, oh, okay, like it's a lot harder yeah. than it seems. <laughs> um, so that was another, like, yes, technically that's more of a personal goal, but that was something that in my mind, my business kind of allows me to, to do more of. Mm-hmm. So there was that. And then this summer... Um, a new goal I'm attempting is what I'm calling summer hours. So from Memorial day to labor day, I'm taking every Friday off, which I've thought about doing in the past Mm -hmm. past years. I'm like, I'm going to have summer hours. And then I just didn't, um, in this year I've done pretty well. I think I've only worked one Friday and it was just because I wanted to. So, um, yeah. So for me that has worked really, really well. And then um, I've also been tracking number of like trips that I'm taking this year, whether it's just a weekend trip to like 
a town, a different town, like a state over or mm-hmm. whether it's like a whole trip. So I got married in May and we went to Mexico. So that was a trip. Um, so just keeping track of things that for me are that little alarm bell of, okay, I'm halfway through the year. Have I taken approximately half of my days off? Like, mm-hmm. no. Okay. I got to like pump those numbers up a bit. So yeah. Oh, I love that you track it. Just like we track, you know, all the important metrics. That's really amazing. I've actually never heard anybody do that before. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's so like, I don't know. We're just so, so ingrained to track the, the money. How hard we work yes. and how much money we're making. And yep. yeah, it's, we don't, um, I think that that translates to success, certainly. Um, whereas um, I think sometimes a lot of us feel guilty for taking the time off, especially Monday through Friday. I'm not going to lie. I definitely get that feeling of like, I should be working. Yeah. I and I do too. I should be doing like, something work-related or maybe I'll just take a half a day and I'm always talking myself out of it. Yep. Um, it's fun when you start tracking it because then instead of feeling as guilty, you're like, all right, well, I took a half day, but it counts towards my days off. And you add it like, <laughs> I just have a note in my phone and I have like, um, like each month, like January, February, March, and I just add like, one day off for this or one day off for so-and-so in town. And when you get to like add it to that, it feels like a little bit of an achievement. So that's awesome. That's nice. I love that. Well, it's um, been even more inspiring talking to you and being able to just sit down one-on-one. So thank you so much for being here and for sharing about your journey and for inspiring all of us. Yeah. Thank you for having me and just for this whole community. Like I, I'm so glad that I found you guys because it's just been so nice to be able to come in and see familiar faces and have conversations like this. Well, I, I think we're the lucky ones, but thank you so much. And before we go, I will um, share links in the show notes um, as far as your website and where people can contact you. But if you just want to share so they can maybe make the mental note, where would be the best, uh, the best email to reach you at and then your website address? Yeah. So my email is Corrine at CorrinePettit.com. And then my website is CorrinePettit.com. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me, Christy. And thank you listeners for joining us. We appreciate that you uh, gave us your time. We know we have, you have a lot of choices of where you spend your time. So thanks so much for spending it with us. Thanks for listening. This podcast was recorded at WorkSmart Coworking and Meeting Space in downtown Glens Falls and produced by Black Mountain Visuals. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review. Join us again next time. We'll meet just off Glen.